So we'll go uh, to refuge in Dhamma tonight. <laughs> I hope uh, another useful, useful topic. And just to say too, this uh, recollection of the Buddha Dhamma Sangha and a lot of uh, the thoughts that I put together for this whole um, series is um, uh, it is coming from the suttas themselves. I mentioned that the first night. Uh, there's a number of places where these exact words uh, that are in this chant uh, appear in the suttas, but Particularly, I think the one that's most noteworthy is in the Parinibbana Sutta, Maha Parinibbana Sutta, because um, it was at a time when everybody's, you know, a little nervous that the Buddha is going to die soon, and um, they're all running around scrambling, thinking about things they forgot to ask or want to know about, and uh, are asking um, things uh, lest he go away before they get to it, you know. And one of the things that they kept asking him, you, you may have heard this, is uh, they, they would ask him about uh, those who had died and wanting to know where they were reborn or if they had realized uh, at least the first stage of awakening before uh, they died. And, um, you know, they kept doing this and kept doing this. And one of the few examples in the suttas that I saw where the, the Buddha seems to be... Um, uh, uh, getting tired of them. <laughs> you know? In fact, I think he, use it, he even uses the word. This vexes me, you know, but because they won't they won't leave, leave him alone. Um, but uh, so he says, look, I'll give you a formula whereby you can tell for yourself if someone has realized stream entry before they died. And um, it, it, he gave them four qualities. He said, look for these four qualities that they have virtue, um, perfected virtue and that um, they have complete and utter conviction about the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. And interestingly, these are the four things that characterize someone who has realized stream entry. So this is no small stuff, you know, when when you frame it in in that way. uh, The things that we're looking at are actually pointing to the very supports that uh, we want to be able to realize, hopefully, uh, in this lifetime. And so... Uh, you know, that's where this is all drawn from. I just wanted to make sure you realize that because we're, we're not making making it up or just um, pull, <laughs> pulling it out of some, <laughs> some, some uh, wishful thinking in the Dhamma. Uh, and so uh, then we have this combination of the, where the Buddha goes is talking about the mundane and the super-mundane level. So I'm kind of blending these two uh, to, to give a comprehensive teaching on this. So when we look at the Dhamma, um, at the mundane level. Uh, this has to do uh, literally with taking refuge in the Pali Canon, in the Tapitaka, uh, looking to this body of knowledge that the, uh, has been collected, um, put together for us, and, and passed down through the ages, which is exactly what we're doing here, right? Uh, something uh, we're very much on target with. Um, and, and just to recognize, as we, as we do through the months and years of studying in this way, that the, high, the unbelievably high degree of internal consistency in the teachings. You know, you can come in the door on any one of the teachings and uh, find yourself um, understanding or explaining or going through a, a doorway into one of the other teachings. They're, they're all in very, very many ways uh, saying the same thing but coming at it from different angles. So there's a, there's a, it's a brilliant structure. There's a lot of cross-referencing and, uh, uh, between the teachings. And 
one begins to notice the uh, incredible depth, uh, never mind the breadth of them, 45 years of teachings. You know, there's not, not too many religious teachings that have so many volumes from the, the primary uh, teacher within that particular lineage. So it's very extensive, and one of the things I like about it, too, is there's a lot of wit. <laughs> it makes it very interesting to read uh, the, the, uh, the Dhamma through the Pali Canon. So, you know, and another factor to consider when we're contemplating refuge in Dhamma is that, um, you know, it's said that the Dhamma is only uh, taught uh, at, at a time when a teaching Buddha is alive and, for, and as long as that teaching uh, stays alive after his death. Uh, and, and so we're, uh, we're enjoying a very uh, significant period in history. Uh, and, and the beauty of it all is that our karma is such that we have ears to hear, <laughs> Uh, we have enough right view, we have enough provisional right view to turn to it uh, and to listen. And we happen to be living at a time where there's a lot of teaching, a lot of teachers. And, you know, you know it's said, I mean, you can believe this or not, but it's said that the, the possibility of all of these variables coming together at the same time is quite rare. And yet here we are. <laughs> You know, I don't know what that does to you, but uh, it, it, it really makes me uh, quite happy, but also um, eager, you know, just eager to take advantage of this time. It's like living in a time when there's such good medicine, you know what I mean? Uh, thank goodness uh, we're able to take care of things uh, through, these, uh, through, through the various medicines. So I, I suspect that everybody in this room has felt... Um, and can recall the, perhaps the first time that you heard the teachings and, and felt some you know, high degree of woe <laughs> or you know, relief or release in hearing those. You know, it, it, for me, it was sort of like that feeling of, you know, I remember that moment very clearly. And I talked to a lot of people, and they remember that moment <laughs> very clearly. It was kind of like, where were you when Kennedy was shot? You know? You know, we know that moment. Uh, and and uh, it's an important one you know uh, most of us will remember that moment so well because of its exceptional nature for the first time we're coming in touch with the Dhamma and uh, in a way uh, giving uh, taking refuge in that so in our daily lives you know we can easily get lost in the in the muck and mire of it all uh, you know in the details that just cause us to lose our sense of quietude you know, even along in many years into practice, this can happen. And, you know, I don't know about you, but there's just many, many times, you know, definitely still in my life where, you know, it's just like, you know, it's all, the, all this stuff has got me pulled in and I'm whirling with it, you know. And, and if I'm lucky, I'll have this moment where I'll just go, you know, and, and go, okay, 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 wait, wait a minute, you know, the Dhamma is here, I know it is, and... And just that uh, remembering uh, that there's another way to be seeing everything, there's another way to be seeing things, is a huge relief. Uh, and uh, following through on that, just settling down into um, uh, this other way. It's like the, the alternative is greed, hatred, and delusion. <laughs> you know, this is a, a whole other way that promises tremendous re- relief from suffering. 
you know, I was talking to my Dhamma buddy a, a while back, and and she was a, she and her husband are both practitioners, and uh, she was saying that um, you know how how uh, you, you remember the Dhamma a lot more easily. You remember to go there as the years go by. You're lost for shorter periods of time, uh, or remember yourself more quickly. And she and her husband have just. Uh, uh, develop this, um, become aware of, of the, the sort of mutual uh, sharing of that uh, fact in their own practice, where like they might get into a tangle, you know, and and you know very quickly, you know, one of them, yeah, 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 and you said this, and you did that, and you weren't supposed to, and I was gonna, and da, 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 all that kind of stuff that goes on in an argument, and and in very short order um, these days. You know, one or the other of them will go <laughs> and just burst out laughing, and they'll both start laughing, and they'll be like, "Do you believe that? Do you believe what we just did?" It's like that, isn't it? You know, you 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 you're lost for a while, and you come to a lot more quickly. And and if if we do that enough, then uh, over time, we're caught up less and less in the first place. Or, or if we are, then more more easily we begin to see that and uh, relinquish the grip that we have on whatever form of craving or delusion ha- has captured our attention for that moment. You know, Ajahn Chah said that uh, you know you you start to see everything through the eyes of Dhamma. Uh, over the years of practice, every everywhere you look, he said, it's Dhamma. And you know you can interpret that in many, many different ways. But to the extent that we get the the truth about the way things are, then uh, the, the capacity to relinquish the grip is ever increased. So it, it's no accident that enlisting uh, the antidotes to every one of the hindrances, you know, the, that that list in the suttas has uh, different variations on a the theme for different hindrances, but. Uh, a couple of things are common as an antidote for all of the hindrances. And uh, one, uh, one of them is not being with people who are that way. You know, that that's a huge pull. If you're trying not to be hateful, don't hang around with hateful people. But uh, the, the other one is um, listen to, study the Dhamma. Turn towards the Dhamma in one way or another. You know, and, and that in our day and age, that's listening to Dhamma talks. And in the Buddha's day, it was uh, going to the monasteries and uh, re- receiving the Dhamma directly that way. But there's so much for us now. You know, there's just so many opportunities for this. Uh, just to, I'm sure you've all done that. When you pick up a Dhamma book, you, if you just recollect and remember um, when it's difficult, just you can find tremendous relief in an instant. It takes the, it takes the edge off and uh, helps us uh, take things much less personally. You know, I can remember uh, a number of years ago when my mom was still alive, you know, uh, I was reflecting on one of the ways that she was when she was, when we were little, and um, used to irritate all my sisters and I. It's a big family. And when we would go out, she would be like the mother hen, and she would be leading all of us. You know, it was like her first, and the rest of us would follow. And, and I can remember this feeling as a kid, you know, I'd say, Mom, <laughs> come back here, you know, be with me, hold my hand. I want to be, you know, I want you beside me. 
not always telling me where to go and, and leading me. Uh, and it used to be a source of a lot of pain. But uh, here we were, you know, I was in my 50s at the time, and we were all going out together, and she was still doing it, you know. <laughs> and, and for the first time, I just, uh, I saw her do this, and I went, oh, she's stuck in the same stuff I'm stuck in. You know, that compulsion, the wanting, the leaning, the going on to the next thing, that incessant uh, leaning into the next moment. And, and suddenly, you know, it, it just took the edge off completely, and the, the irritation turned to compassion. You know, and that, that's, that's a good example of what the Dhamma does. You know, it, and it, besides taking it less personally, we actually are equipped because we understand with how to hold that moment and, and how to treat uh, uh, ourselves and other people who are stuck, you know. It's very, very, very powerful. Uh, Ajahn Chah said that the Dhamma cools. Cools. I, I like that. I like that. That moment was on fire. And suddenly it cooled, yeah, settled down. And so I'm, I'm sure you felt this, you know, probably many times throughout the year, especially when you're talking with your Dhamma buddy. Maybe you've exchanged things that are going on in your life that are difficult, and we turn to each other to help us understand, to remind us, because we individually may not always be able to remember, you know, but somebody else might remember, and so we, we turn to them. And, and haven't you felt that every time you have that kind of in-depth discussion with your Dhamma buddies? So refuge in Dhamma at the simple level is really just having the good sense to turn to the teachings, especially when there's confusion or difficulty or suffering of one form or another, and finding comfort there. And just allowing ourselves to feel that. We all do this, and I'm quite confident that we all do this, but I guess what I'm pointing to here is do we recognize that as going to the Dhamma for refuge? That's what that is. You're going there for a safe place, a safe haven. You know, so over the years of practice, um, you know, taking refuge in Dhamma starts to feel so good that um, people uh, start to reorder their lives, structure their lives in a way such that they can be around it more, have that reminder uh, uh, on the front burner all of the time. You know, I, I, have, a, I have some very dear friends in, in England. Who, one of them in particular, she was saying, she only lived about 25 minutes from the monastery, but that 25 minutes had become an impediment. You know, that's ah, too far to go. I don't think I'll go tonight, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and, just, uh, and she said, she saw herself do it over and over again. And she finally said, that's it, I'm moving. <laughs> and she moved uh, just right down the lane. Another friend did that in, in California, just moving close to it. A lot of people have moved around this area uh, who are coming here for years and just want to be closer. Because they know that you, we know the mind. We know how it'll uh, short-circuit or um, intercept uh, skillful impulses. And, and so we've got to make it easy. And other friends... Uh, just down in the Boston area, uh, built a kuti in their backyard. 
because uh, you know they were they were uh, wanting they were doing daily sittings at at home um, like like one day sits practicing together a husband and wife but um, still getting caught in the distractions <laughs> said okay that's it <laughs> we got to build something outside you know let's just go out there and you can't come in except to eat and and uh, give yourself the full benefit of a full retreat. And they meant it also for other, other friends and for uh, the monks and nuns when they come to use, and it has been used like that through the years. Uh, so, you know, and, and this week even, I've uh, had conversations with a couple of people who are, you know, basically saying, what's next? What do I do now? How do I structure my life? You know, this is this is all very common as we mature and practice, and um, it, it, it's also in indications that one is increasingly uh, going to the Dhamma for refuge. That that's maturing, developing, growing uh, in this heart. So, uh, just to go through some of the language on the uh, recollection, the, this language from the Parinibbana Sutta. Um, the, the Buddha is, it points out different characteristics after he said the, the, that a stream enterer is one who has complete and uh, utter conviction in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha and has uh, developed virtue to a high degree um, then he went into uh, an explanation of what the, the qualities of the Buddha and the Dhamma and Sangha are and that's what this is this, uh, these verses so it's, it can be helpful just to consider what he's saying here. Um, in the recollection of the Dhamma, um, he's, he says that it's um, sanditiko. And um, this is said that the, the, the translation of this is usually, it's apparent here and now. And this is an expression that the, the Dhamma isn't someplace else. <laughs> It's right in front of our noses. It's just a case of finding the right internal environment, if you will, to be able to even see it. You know, it's it's right here, it's right now. It, it always has been. And when you think about it, you know, where else would it be? But yet, I don't know about you, but I've certainly had those kinds of thoughts of someday, somewhere, I'm going to see it, you know? And this is an effort to kind of collapse that and acknowledge that, that that's really an error in thinking. It isn't somewhere, someday. It's right now. And it's just getting ourselves to the place where we can see it. That's a lot of practice, if you ask me. It's fine-tuning the capacity to see. You know, a, a number of years ago, when I first uh, went to Chithurst, um, there, was the, there was this monk there. He's actually still there, but... Uh, um, when I first met him, uh, I was very uh, struck by him. Uh, he had an unbelievable relationship with the forest. He was, he was one of these people who would find things in the forest that you didn't even see, you know? And then he would build things and uh, construct, like, like when he was building one of the huts for one of the nuns, he did the whole um, drainage system or, or guttering system he had supported by these gnarled, knotty um, roots of trees. You know, so the whole side of the house is these uh, knotted, funny bent uh, strips of wood. Uh, and, you know, you wouldn't, I would walk through the forest, I wouldn't even see that. 
he would not only see it, but he'd find a place for it in a construction. He'd build these kutis that looked like hobbit huts, you know, with fascinating. I mean, he'd take bowls that somebody had thrown out and make that a window, you know, this crystalline blue-green glass. And, and maybe it had a crack in it, but who cared? You know, he, he would just um, do things like this. And... Or, or a piece of wood, or he wouldn't, he wouldn't shave off the bark, you know, he'd just let that be the way that the chair went, or uh, soak and wrap vines to build the arms, things like this. It's just a, a, an amazing being to be around. And I, 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 was, I was telling somebody, I think, he, I think he's, uh, he looks like an elf, you know. He had these um, pointed ears that had hair coming out of the point, you know. <laughs> and when he was a layman, I knew him as a layman too, you know, he had these uh, eyebrows that curled up and this mustache that curled up. And he just, he looked, like a, he looked like a hobbit or an elf or something, you know. And so they said, well, funny that, because um, this guy has, um, he, he has an inroad with the fairies and elves. He sees them, you know. <laughs> and I went, whoa, <laughs> you're kidding. And they said, no, that's, that's the lore anyway. And so I talked to him about it. And I said, well, tell me about it. What's it like? You know, what are they like? And he said, oh, no, no, I can't, I can't tell you about it. It would betray a trust. And um, then I wouldn't see them anymore. They wouldn't let me see them, you know. But he said, I'll tell you this. Elves and fairies are just like the Dhamma. <laughs> They're around us everywhere. They're everywhere, but you just can't see them unless you tune your inner sight, if you will, to be able to see them. And I thought, oh, that's, now that's, that's a lesson. Forget the tales and fairies, that's the truth. That was a, a very helpful lesson for me because it's, what it's pointing to is sanditiko. It's apparent here and now. But you have to, um, have, you have to be in the right frame of mind. And, you know, for each of us, we're trying to discern what that right frame of mind is. Certainly to understand it, but to actually experience it. You know, the relax, the don't judge, the don't criticize, the, you know, just, just doing whatever it takes to keep the whole system uh, in a state that makes it, it possible uh, to see things clearly. Sanditiko. And then uh, Akaliko, uh, it, it's timeless. And this has a number of layers, you know, many, many layers to it. Uh, mo- uh, primarily, it usually means just that, that it, it expresses a universal timeless truth. You know, that, that, that uh, this is true uh, no matter today, yesterday, tomorrow. It's always going to be the way that it is. But it, it also... Um, Addresses issues that seem to appear, I think, in every culture throughout time. You know, the, the, the stuff that we're getting at is the same stuff that people were getting at at the time of the Buddha. Attachment, craving, suffering, and the end of suffering. You know, th- these, these kinds of things are, are, are timeless. And, or just looking at things like how to get along well, uh, how to live in relationship and live in, live in harmony, uh, seeing and understanding difficult states, how we get into them and how we get out of them. You know, this is, this is timeless stuff. One of my dear friends is a psychiatrist and um, 
she's she's fascinated by all of this. Uh, she's always asking me to say something in Buddhist, you know. <laughs> well, say something in Buddhist. Say something in Buddhist. Yeah. And then so I'll tell her, and I'll tell her about the aggregates and tell her about it, attachment and suffering and letting go and all like that. And, and she just goes, how did the Buddha know this before Freud? You know? <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, uh, well, you know, it's akalika. It's timeless. It's, you know, nobody discovered it. Even the Buddha didn't discover it. It's the way, it's timeless. And then ehipasika, this is one of the beautiful ones, uh, qualities of the Dhamma. And uh, the Buddha says that that, that the Dhamma is available for all to see and invites us to come and see. Ehipasika is come and see for yourself. Don't you love that? I mean, come on, see, you know? And to me, it, 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 it conveys the sense that he must have had unbelievable confidence in what he saw and combine that with a tremendous compassion because it's like you know there's not there's not a stinginess about this it's like one is liberated he's liberated his mind and his uh, um, response to that is to say come on let me show you how (laughs) you know you can do you can this is unbelievable uh, pleasure unbelievable joy unbelievable release uh, let me show you how. Come and see. And, and, and it carries with it this sense of um, you can do this. You know, we, can, we can all see this. We can all do this. We can know this. That, that, just contemplating uh, that word, even just that single word, is like enorm- can be enormously helpful um, in inspiring us in the practice. Yeah? You know, I I can I come away from it with a, with my chest out. You know what I mean? <laughs> I can do this. I can see this. He makes it all sound very very possible. Um, and um, he was so true and so right about so many things. Well, you know, why would why wouldn't I believe him that that I can do this? And I think it has this other side effect, which is also that it, it helps us um, to um, let people discover it in their own time and in their own way. You know, I don't know about you, but before practice there would be a tendency, maybe especially in my 30s or so, you know, to f- discover something and then just try to shove it down somebody's throat, you know. <laughs> you know, you, you gotta, you got to know this, you got to see this, you know. Um, that kind of attitude. But, you know, this... Uh, this quality of Dhamma, this realization that we come to of, of Dhamma, it really helps us to look and question. I mean, when did you ever get it that way? You know, when did you ever get something because somebody shoved it down your throat and and demanded that you agree? You know? Or um, when was there agreement with you ever something that built confidence in you. You know, it, it doesn't work like that. You know, my, the, the, the confidence that one feels in, in something has to go so deep that it absolutely does not matter if anybody agrees. You know. We know. And that's, that's where this 
come and see for yourself uh, takes us. You know, the faith element in Buddhism is held very differently than it is in a lot of other religions. It's not, um, it's not come and believe. It's come and know. Come and see for yourself. And I find that very empowering. You know, I bet you do too. And then there's Opanayako, which is the Dhamma leads inward, and Pachatang, Vedita Bhav. And this is um, realizable by the wise. Uh, that also, I think, has inherent in it a promise. It's realizable by the wise, meaning, and that's, that's all of us, you know, that anybody that has a provisional, even just a provisional right view, it, it, it's possible to realize this. That, that's what's needed. That, you know how when we look at the Eightfold Path and we've got right view at the top and right view at the bottom, yeah, it's a fruit, and ultimately it matures uh, to this high degree of conviction and understanding. But provisionally, initially, it's only provisional. Yeah, yeah, this looks pretty good. I think I'll look into it. You know, it's like that. That's uh, a lot of wisdom. So, you know, taking refuge in Dhamma at the simple level is just contemplating these characteristics and, and resting in the truth of them, using it. Just contemplating all of this. So that's one level, but this uh, super mundane, and that's the level that this uh, sutta speaks to. It's interesting to me that the recollection of the Buddha Dhamma Sangha in this, the the recollection of the Buddha and the Dhamma are speaking to the mundane level, the the simple level, the Buddha, the person, uh, the Dhamma, the teachings. Uh, but when we get to recollection of Sangha, you'll see he's, he's going to the more liberating level. But we'll talk about that tomorrow. So this, uh, at, at the liberating level, the, the uh, refuge in Dhamma uh, involves a refuge in our direct experience of truth. Uh, that's a mouthful, because that presumes a direct experience of truth. <laughs> uh, and this is something that we acquire gradually over the, the months and years of practice. And there's many levels to uh, talk about it. But I'll just zero in on a couple. Um, the, the first one is um, our capacity, our ever-increasing capacity to uh, see the way that things are and to be with things as they are. And this is, this is a mouthful. Just allowing things to be the way that they are at any given moment. Uh, but you very quickly, as a practitioner, you become aware of the uh, unbelievable, relentless tendency of the mind to take exception to what is. You know, it's just constantly wanting something else, wanting it to be another way, not wanting it to be the way that it is. Have you seen this? <laughs> it's pretty relentless, isn't it? Yeah. And so uh, you can see why this, why he points to this as a liberating level, is this capacity to drop out of that, to drop out of that tendency to, to constantly be wanting it to be some other way, and and this is a this is a challenge for us, you know, because uh, particularly when you look at issues that are going on around the world, you know, let alone um, interpersonal issues or 
right? things that are going on within us. You know that uh, it, it seems to um, belie the fact that something needs to be done about stuff. You know, we need to have something. You need to do something. You need to say something. You need to get on top of it. But uh, and and the Buddha doesn't have a quarrel with that on one level, but basically saying, do this, do this first. Do this is a a, a primary aspect of realizing peace for ourselves. This is the way it is. Well, yeah, but it shouldn't be. But it is. Well, yeah, but I don't want it to be that way. But it is that way. Well, yeah, but people shouldn't be doing it. But they do. You know, that, that, can you feel it? It's, it's like that. It's that uh, training the mind to keep coming back to the reality of the way that it is. And uh, admittedly, that may not be uh, easy to do. But that's why we have the training. And um, in no small way, this training that we do in formal practice to uh, be with the breathing is training the mind uh, to be with things as they are. You know, for many years, I'm sure like me, you you think it's about being with the breath. You know, I'm a meditator. My job is to connect with the breath and to to be with the breath and to stay with it, you know. (laughs) And, and you know, it takes years to realize that it's not about that at all. You know, it's about... um, coming back it, it's, it's not about coming back to the breath if you're lost it's about coming back to the knowing of the breath that's a very different experience you're trying to uh, reestablish ourselves over and over and over and over again in this knowing awareness so that um, the way that it is is secondary <laughs> the knowing awareness is the, is the primary um, posturing if you will and, and from that place, then the way it is it can be more easily uh, accepted and, and gra- uh, grasped. And, and what, I, what I've noticed over the years is that as we increasingly take refuge in the Buddha, which is that knowing, and in the Dhamma, which is the way things are, you see over the years of practice that that sense of somebody in here who is watching the breath falls away. It just it just disintegrates because there's no watcher. There's just knowing and the way that things are. And one can settle more uh, completely into that. You just consider that, that transition. It, it represents a, a radical shift in, in our experience. We're, we're no longer preoccupied with objects like that mirror thing I was talking about last night. You're no longer... It, it, whatever is happening is not the issue. It's all about what's happening in the heart and how you're with it. Do you know it? Do you feel it? And everything that needs to proceed from, uh, to, to take us to freedom proceeds from that uh, position, if you will. So, you know, we're being with uh, and in things as they are. And this is what we refer to as refuge and dhamma. It's this way. But I hate it. Yeah, I know. But it is this way. But I don't want it. Yeah, I know. But that, it's this way. Yeah? And they, they keep coming back to that. 
It takes some training, doesn't it? Yeah, it's not, not easily won. And, and there's an aspect of this that um, is very important, I think, for us, maybe particularly as Westerners, but maybe it's true for everybody. But being with things as they are includes being with ourselves the way that we are. <laughs> and that's a bite. <laughs> you know, it's going to be a, a big struggle for, for many, many years because we have all kinds of ideas about uh, what's the right way to be. And this is the, you know, we've talked about this in uh, this year. This is the sanya kanda at work, sanya and sankara primarily. But there are views, there are um, ideas in this mind, you may have seen it, uh, about the way that things ought to be. And that includes us. You know, we have ideas about the way that, that we ought to be and ideas that there's a right way to be. That's sort of in there, rock solid. Uh, and so uh, we don't, you, you look at it over the years of practice, and you, you know, you, one doesn't even know one's doing it until you look and uh, shine a spotlight on it. But we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people, <coughs> and believing these thoughts and being hard on ourselves and suffering with that kind of thing. And in, in, a, in a twisted kind of way, the Buddhist teachings can even aggravate this. You know, because there's, so, there's subtle and not so subtle ways that even the teachings seem to be saying there's a right way to be. And you, you've got to get there. You've got to be that way. <coughs> and and um, it, it can be very, very confusing and, and seemingly contradictory um, in our lives. Uh, there's, there's, uh, I think Andy was touching on this today. There's sort of two uh, directives in practice. And one is saying, aspire to be the best that you can be, to be some way, perhaps other than the way that you are. And, and then there's this other uh, part of practice which says open completely and fully to the way that you are. And if those don't sound like contradictions, I don't know what does. You know, but each of us has to um, reconcile these two and see for ourselves how it is that they are absolutely not contradictory. We all have to work that out for ourselves. And so, just a, a little bit more. One, one of the one of the things that I found helpful to contemplate is that uh, it's a it's a very frustrating part of practice that. Um, comes over the years, especially for those of us, like all of us in this room, who are mature practitioners, who have garnered some insights, who have seen a lot of the truth. You know, we're, we're seeing it, we're getting it, we're, um, it's not an idea anymore, you actually see it in your moment-to-moment experience. And so we have these, these great insights, but then uh, we can't always act out of them. <laughs> We can't. We don't always act as if we understand. You know, we, we can forget. It, it takes time for these kinds of this kind of knowing uh, to stabilize. And this period, which can go on for a very long time, can be very, very frustrating. And I think it's important to name it and to be prepared for it, and to know that while the insights are coming in one door, you know, 
the old ways, the karmic patterns and habits to the contrary are coming in the other door. You know, they're still very strong and they're so strong that they will uh, dominate uh, the field at any given moment. Uh, and just to know that, I mean, I, I don't know, I kind of wish somebody had said that to me years ago. It would have saved me a lot of suffering because uh, it's normal. <laughs> Standard operating procedure. We're in this process of waking up and that's the way it looks along the way. You know? I might have talked about this before. One of the, one of the things that uh, I love that Pema Chodron talks about she, she spotlights that and she, she calls it this in-between place. And she says, you know, it's just, just as I described, the insights are there, uh, the capacity to always live as if you know them is not there yet. It's not stabilized enough. And um, her, her advice about it is um, get used to it. Because <laughs> basically she says you're going to be there for a long time. Yeah, I, I, I find that I find that very, in another twisted kind of way, very 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 helpful. <laughs> you know, oh okay, because you can settle down and relax. You know, this is this is normal. Uh, I'm not. Uh, it doesn't have to be a point of frustration. It's the way it's the way it unfolds. And it is too. Uh, actually, I thought about this further, and I, I thought you know this is this is part of what he's talking about with this um, unworldly, unpleasant feeling. It's one of the um, indications, or one of the manifestations of that. It's a painful feeling. But if you know how to hold it, um, it, it not, not fight it, not resist it, um, we can move through it easily. You know, it, it's a, it, it goes with the territory. You actually want to see it. I think when, he, when he's pointing it to Vedana, where you, know, you want to be able to see feeling as feeling and let it be, Includes so that means see unworldly, uh, unpleasant feeling, and allow it. Let it be. This is the way it is. It's a, it's a point. It doesn't have to be a point of frustration. It can be entered into the realm of normal. So just to to realize this, you know, I, I think uh, a lot of the frustration and opening to the way that we are is these images that we have about ourselves and one of the ones I noticed years ago was you know I had this image of myself as as somebody who had her act together reasonably you know <laughs> and this idea it was start to start to realize that I'm the one that sees it clearly other people don't you know so, oh well you know it's pretty pretty sick you know <laughs> but it was there you know and and uh, I wanted to to see it uh, and the seeing of it was just very, it made me laugh and, and um, made me lose a lot of anxiety in my life because um, what, what I found, to, found out is that I, I was just much happier being somebody who didn't have her act together. You know? <laughs> and just allow that. And, uh, so that when I see myself do stupid things, it's, oh yeah, you know. And you can more easily ask for forgiveness or uh, be kind to yourself, you know. We're, we're unawake human beings. <laughs> we're waking up, but we're unawake human beings. You know, what do you expect? <laughs> There's something very nice in that.
So true, true refuge in Dhamma is just very, very powerful. It, it's this way. This is the way I am. This is the way it is. This is my karma. You know, and um, in, a, in a way that takes some contemplation, we have to realize that I can't do anything about that. What arises in me is not something that I can do something about. This is hugely helpful. It, 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 we take it all so personally. But what arises in me is a fruit of past karma. And it's like what we, that exchange we had on the forum a while back. You know, There's nothing to be done about that. But there is something to be done about what you do when it comes up. And if that wasn't true, then there wouldn't be any hope for liberation. You'd just be stuck in the karmic patterns. But we can slow it down. We can build that the inner terrain of the mind and heart such that we can see it without judgment, without criticism. We can see it with kindness. We can hold it in this relaxed, uh, peaceful way. And then from that vantage point, sort out where we want to go with it. So, I mean, just that this teaching on uh, Vipaka karma, resultant karma, has been a huge help for me personally and a lot of people I talk to. Just to get that, you know, going on about the way that we are <laughs> doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it makes no sense at all when you understand Vipaka karma. So this is uh, very, very nice, you know. We, we learn about ourselves, we see our patterns, that's what we want to see. The minute we judge and criticize them, then we're off to the races. And we're deflecting the attention from the only place where we can actually get free, which is seeing the way we are, you know, warts and all, <laughs> doo-doo and all, you know, this is this is the way we are. And, and um, just de- developing a a way of um, holding that in, in the most, uh, most skillful way possible. So, and finally, then, um, the ultimate level of, of refuge in Dhamma, uh, here at this liberating level, has to do with um, taking refuge in the truth of anicca, dukkha, and anatta. And this uh, is a gradual uh, understanding, a gradual training that comes over the the years of practice. But as we see the truth of these, then they become a huge refuge. (laughs) Because uh, you look at the um, standard mode of operation of unawake human beings, and basically it's the five hindrances. And these are all the um, um, patterns that arise uh, to uh, take exception to anicca, dukkha, and anatta, <laughs> to fight them, to resist the reality of it, and and uh, this is not to be believed, but just to be seen. I mean, look and see. The, the next time one is caught in uh, sense desire, craving, wanting of one form or another, you know, th- that is very much proceeding from um, not uh, seeing the impermanent nature of things. You know, as, as we see that, that, that uh, veracity about wanting things that are by their nature just so unbelievably fleeting, you know, it just it starts to disintegrate. 
Or if you, the next time we see ourselves in a, in a hateful, resistant state, you know, that's all. That's proceeding from a, a lack of insight into dukkha. You know, it, it's like I, I, I don't want it. I'm pushing it away. I don't want it to be the way that it is. And usually that's because we're in pain in one form or another. You know, but but uh, there is dukkha. <laughs> You know, the, the more we get that, then um, you see the foolishness of hatred. It doesn't make sense. The resistance doesn't make sense. Or just the, the, the next time we're in a slothful state, look and see. You know, we, we, we whine and complain and get depressed uh, about, about all of them, anicca, dukkha, and anatta. You know, it's that slothful, whiny state. You know, or why? Why are we anxious, man? Restlessness and agitation—it's no puzzle to me. That it's one—it's one of the last things to go. <laughs> anxiety. You know, we live in a constant state of anxiety, and and that's because we're constantly rubbing up against. Anicca, dukkha, and anatta, and not wanting them, not not you know, getting all the ducks in a row, making sure everything's certain, considering every possible variation on a theme that might happen, so that I can offset the even the tiniest possibility that something uh, will go wrong, <laughs> you know, or that people won't be the way that I want them to be, or the condition won't be the way that I want it to be. You know, this is this is anxiety, it's stemming from uh, not realizing that um, things going wrong is standard operating procedure. <laughs> it's just normal. <laughs> you start to redefine what, what you, even that the idea that it's gone wrong. It's, it hasn't gone wrong. It's normal. You know, it's just painful sometimes. It, 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 you know, life sucks sometimes, and that's the way it is. Or just you know look and see when we're confused and, and filled with doubt you know uh, one hasn't made peace with not knowing and this is an enormously helpful state actually to to be in that um, state of, of knowing that we're not awake that we don't see entirely clearly and that um, and, and to be open because if you know that you, you tend to be open and interested in looking into things, not fighting and demanding to know things that we don't know, you know. That, that's, at least at the mundane level, that's what doubt is all about. It's like demanding, you know, to, to make things certain that aren't certain. You know, we don't know. So, you know, without insight into the three characteristics, you can see that uh, the hindrances are the standard operating procedure. <laughs> it's like, uh, that's our mode. Uh, and, and so all of these, you know, over the years of practice, you just begin to see them as a, as a fool's attempt to find happiness by quarreling with reality okay, in, instead of opening to and turning towards that reality and finding a way in our hearts to, to make peace with that. And it's the weirdest thing. I can't explain it, but uh, you sure do experience it. That it, it, you're mu- we're much happier 
uh, allowing anicca, dukkha, and anatta. It's weird. How could you be happier when you get it that there is pain? When you get it that you're not, you, you, know, you just forget about being on top of things, you know? Forget about making things certain, you know? But it's true. And, and uh, we, we want to be able to do that, uh, to allow for that kind of vulnerability. And you can feel how um, the, the concerns about the past and the future just kind of collapse in that willingness. It's like it's, it's all just right here. There's nothing but that. And, and it's okay. You know, one, one can open to it. And in a, in a way, <clears throat> through practice, you know, we're, we're being asked to touch our helplessness in the face of anicca, dukkha, and anatta. And to keep touching it. <laughs> and, and to find a way to be at peace with that. This is a, a dominasa, that helplessness. Uh, it, the Buddha it talks about it as, as a kind of a despair, but it's not like it's despair, like a psychological despair, you know, that, uh, woe is me. It, it's more that you throw in the towel and stop the, the fight from the vantage point of self to make it be some way other than the way that it is. That, that, that this experience of helplessness in the face of the way that it is. I, I can't explain it. We got born, and this is the way it is here. <laughs> it's like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> but there it is. What are you going to do? You're going to hate it? That's one possible life path, you know. Are you gonna, or are we going to find a way to go to the Dhamma for <coughs> refuge and uh, find the peace that that uh, that offers? You know, one of the one of the way uh, one of my teachers put it, I loved it. He says it, it's a it, over time you come to the realization that opening to our vulnerability is better than brandishing a sword. You know, <laughs> you're just always out there fighting it all. You know. It, it, it's better than putting up all kinds of smoke screens like ignorance and, and self-view as a protection because there's no protection there isn't any protection from anicca, dukkha, and anatta and you don't need it and so it, it's uh, in the end uh, you know, refuge in Dharma is kind of like saying it's better just to say yes you know, just okay that's the way it is. It's a much happier place. So I offer you this for your reflection. I hope it's helpful.